Welcome to Heller Hurwitz Office Hours, a podcast featuring University of Minnesota economists and their research. In the podcast, we'll explore economic topics that impact our daily lives and discuss economic research aimed at improving our understanding of major societal challenges. We'll highlight how careful economic research can inform policy decisions. The global population is aging. Rising longevity is a powerful demographic force shaping the global economy in many different ways. In this conversation, economist Hannes Malberg takes a deep dive into how global aging could impact the long-term direction of interest rates. Okay, let's set the scene here. So we know the American population is aging thanks to a combination of increased longevity, having fewer children. Uh, I think my favorite number about this is the Census Bureau predicts, what, in 2034, there'll be more people 65 years and older than 18 and under for the first time in U.S. history. But this is also a global phenomenon. So set the scene for us. Yeah, no. So in a very broad sense, what we're seeing is the effect of something that is called a demographic transition, which is that back in the days, people lived very short lives. They had a lot of kids. Those things do together is that the population is very, very young. Now, what has happened then is that first we solved the health problems, kids stopped dying, and with the lag, uh, we also saw birth rates falling. What that means, and then we start living longer as well when we're old. When you put those things together, we get this progressive aging of the world population. We're at different stages of it in different countries, you know. Japan is further ahead along this route than China is, but it's a pattern that a lot of countries, or essentially all countries in the world, are going through, which means that the world will get older and older as we progress through the 21st century. Okay, so the world's getting older and older, but what does that have to do with interest rates? To understand that, it's helpful to take a step back and understand a little bit how interest rates are determined. So one way to see how interest rates are determined... It's all supply and demand story, It's all right? supply and demand story. Yeah. And the supply and demand here is that how many assets do people want to hold when they save for retirement, when they save for college? How much assets are there around in terms of buildings, investments, offices, government debt? We need to balance those two things. If there's a lot of assets around and very few people want those assets, they have to offer great returns to savers to entice them. But if it's the other way around, if people want to hold a lot of assets but there's not a lot of assets around, then people say, you don't need that good of a return. The return will follow. So higher interest rates yeah. and lower interest rates. So if, if, if you got lots of people want this, you only have to pay them a low interest rate. Exactly. And now what does aging do with this then? Well, old people are the people in society that hold a lot of assets. We all save throughout life to retirement. Uh, we own a house, we pay down the mortgage. So old people hold a lot of assets. Young people, they often hold negative assets. They have a student loan, um, they have a mortgage, and these sort of things. So when we get an older population, people want to hold a lot of assets. And what happens to how many assets there are around? Well, a lot of assets we have around in society is essentially about workers needing equipment, needing structures, needing these sort of things. Many people don't know this, but on average, an American worker has like $300,000 of capital that they sort of work with on average if you sum it all up. And when people start to retire, you know, there's going to be less investment. So people want to hold a lot of assets, but there won't be that many assets around. And then they won't get a good return when they try to uh, invest. That's the idea. That's the idea. So would that suggest that we're in a different environment because, you know, as people retire, 
mm. um, that this is going to sort of change the the overall interest rate environment, the sort of, I guess it would be called like the structural interest rate environment. We get fluctuations like mm-hmm. while we're having this conversation, the Federal Reserve is saying we're going to raise interest rates because we're leaning against inflation. But the underlying trend is being strongly affected by aging. That's the idea. So, of course, interest rates vary a lot over the business cycle. There's inflation. What we have seen in the last few years, of course, there's been big supply shocks with supply chains. There's been big injections of money through fiscal policy, which has been inflationary. That Fed raises interest rates. But we can actually see already now, though, that it's a bit of a remarkable thing that we have a so-called inverted yield curve, which is that lower interest rates are actually lower than than short-term interest rates. We usually don't see that, but that how we interpret that is that, you know, there are things now that sort of pushes up interest rates, but there are also forces in the long run that sort of secularly will tr- tend to push them down or aging will have that effect. And of course, this long-term trend is something we've seen over the last few decades. And what we say is that aging will be one force sort of pushing that down over time as well. Going okay, forward. so I know as, as an economist, this question is probably going to drive you crazy, but okay, is that a good or is it a bad thing? I mean, as uh, when I'm out borrowing, I like it when, when, when rates are low. Of course, I don't particularly like it when I look at my bank savings account. But from the economy-wide point of view, mm. low rates good, low rates bad. Yeah, you, you are right that it's like a hard thing to answer because in some sense, as an economist, you would say, well, if people want to save a lot, but there's no one who wants to provide the assets, the interest rate should be low. In some sense, what... Wanting to save says, I want to consume a lot in the future, not right now. But then there has to be someone paying you in the future. And if no one wants to pay you there in the future, you're not going to get that much in the future. So but what we could say is that we can discuss not maybe good or bad, but what type of economy do we live in when interest rates are low yeah, that's compared to when better. interest rates yeah. are high? That, that's a better, yeah. I, I think, not going against your question, I think no, that's no, a better no, way to no, think that, about that's it. a much better frame. I think that um, one thing that is very striking when interest rates are very low is that the future matters a lot because if you know when you do investments you do this discounting you say that money is worth less in the future because you say that i could invest them now and get more money there and if interest rates are very high then it's a little bit like whatever happens beyond 10 years that doesn't really matter because like you discount that so much but when the interest rates are very low what happens in the future matters a lot And that can sometimes lead to sort of very volatile valuations because the value of an investment is not determined by like the hard facts, how much I'm going to sell over the next five years, but more like, is this going to be a promising product over the next 20 years? Those questions are much harder to answer. So I think that low interest rates do tend to drive this sort of thing that valuations of investments can get really, really high because if you think that it might be good in the future. And this is... um this is a global phenomenon. As we were talking at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. aging is global. So when we're talking about this uh, structural yeah. lower interest rate environment, the savings are coming from all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they are. Okay, and so what are the sort of I don't know what are the, what what are the capital the investment implications just for here in the U.S. when we think about an aging society, an aging world, uh, in terms of investments that lead to higher productivity, that lead to innovation, that kind of thing? Does it have any implication for that or or not so much? Well, one thing it does have is that uh, when interest rates are are very low, uh, it suggests that investments that pay off 
a long time in the future are are relatively better. So if you would say that, you know, should we construct things that last for 10 years or for 40 years, the lower the interest rate, the more things are sort of pushing towards we should build things that have a, a payoff in the long run. I would say that. So one classic thing would be, you know, nuclear power plants, say, you know, like massive fixed costs when you build them, not that high variable costs once they're in place. In an economy where like interest rates are 10%, that rarely makes sense economically to build. In an economy where the interest rate is 1%, that can make a lot of sense. So I think that the market, of course, sorts out these things a little bit on their own. So I think that it might be more worthwhile thinking about like the type of public investments that, that make sense in a low interest rate environment and like how we should think about uh, the, the time horizon where we want to make investments. And so I'm curious, and this may be an unfair question, but uh, how... We, the way we look at aging, does that affect your calculations? So if you look at since the early 1990s, people have been working more and more, say 65 years and, and, and older. And, um, you know, overall, on average, we're better educated, we're healthier. So there's kind of mm-hmm. aging as dependency, which is oftentimes in the literature, there's kind of a shift going on. And I'm wondering if that has had an implication for your work yeah no if people work longer that is something that will dampen this effect somewhat not fully i mean formally you experiment around with this in models you pull in parameters and these sort of things but the basic story is that if people work longer than they used to uh, that's going to drive up the demand for more investment so it's going to mean that there are more structures more offices more buildings around and that's going to push interest rates back up a little bit because there's going to be sort of more things to invest in for people so that's one thing that's sort of making it sort of weaker. I think that the thing that's making our effect stronger is that we're a bit conservative on the population projections because um, when we look at population projections going forward, they often say that we're having very few kids today, but like that can't last, you know, surely soon people must start having kids again. And I think that the demographers are very much sort of, we don't really know. We're like even uncharted territory. So... I would say, like, if people work longer, it would sort of tend to make our effects a bit weaker. If people keep having fewer kids or keep having even fewer kids in the future, the aging will be even faster than we predict in our paper, and the effects that we talk about will be even stronger. And then, you know, just just for the listening audience, why are interest rates so important? Interest rates are very central price in the economy because they are a price that says how much do we value the future compared to today? So the interest rate is the price that answers the question, do I rather take $1 today or $2 10 years from now? And we all see this mattering, of course, when we buy houses. And I think that's when we sort of see that it's such a central price and like we all care about it. And what is more hidden from you maybe is in all the sort of investment calculations uh, that people are doing within firms. Because whenever you think, you know, should I buy this machine? It's going to stand here for 15 years. It's going to have this payout. Uh, then essentially the interest rate is going to say like how much I'm going to value that 15 years from now. So if interest rates are lower, the whole economy becomes more forward looking. It sort of says that, oh my God, we should build more things for the future. Yeah. So the title of your paper is Wealth, Demographics, and uh, Global Imbalances in the mm. 21st Century. So elaborate on global imbalances. So global imbalances is a 
name that's been around for a few decades, which is this idea that some countries, they save a lot, but they don't have as much investments to do domestically. So they sort of go out and invest in other countries instead. And we get these imbalances, which is that essentially you, you are a net uh, owner of assets abroad or that people on net are owning your assets. So other countries are owning your assets. And that's, of course, what the U.S. has been worried about. Aging can drive global imbalances because all these forces that we talked about, they don't happen at the same pace in this and at the same time in every country. So if we look at the next sort of 50 years, uh, what we see is that some countries like the U.S., I mean, it's still going to be aging a bit, but it's already aged quite a bit. Whereas other countries like China, they have like their big aging in front of them. So if you look at China, of course, we know that their birth rates fell very sharply in the 1970s. It was the one-child policy. One child, yep. Yeah, but it, it fell in other countries. So it's not just a one-child policy, but, but it, it's a placeholder to think about that. The big generations in China then, they were born like in the 60s. So they're like 60 years old now. They're still working. But soon the big aging will come in China where, you know, all those people who were born in the last big generation before the one-child policy will start to retire. So China, if you would look at curve of like how rapidly they're aging, China will be rap aging much more rapidly than the U.S. will be aging. And then we can sort of see that, okay, what's going to happen then? Well, that means that they're going to get all these old people holding a lot of assets, <laughs> And they're going to have fewer and fewer people working. So they won't be able to generate those assets domestically. So those people will have to go abroad to buy up stuff in other countries. So what we say then is that the aging will actually tend to sort of reinforce this thing that China will be uh, buying assets abroad on net. And the same will be true of India. In terms of the U.S., how would the then the sort of the U.S. situation change when you have rapid aging in China and India, when we're talking, and I know there might be some other places in there like South Korea, but so how does that leave the U.S. economy over this 50-year time span that you're talking about? Yeah, so the rapid aging in those countries will contribute to pushing down interest rates in the U.S. Uh, if they were not aging so fast, maybe they would even be as a destination for American investment to sort of relieve the pressure on American assets. Because how you should think about this is that we have all these baby boomers and people born later, all these old people, they sit on their giant 401k accounts and they just ask, where can I invest them for a good return? If the rest of the world was not aging, they could maybe invest them abroad. But now the rest of the world is aging. They are also full of assets. They also try to get some return somewhere. So this rapid aging in Asia will contribute to sort of pushing down interest rate in the U.S. by sort of saying there's nowhere for the investment to go, really. And then the interest rates will fall more. So what's the follow-up to this paper? What would you like to explore some more? There, there is one thing uh, which we don't analyze that much in the paper that I do find interesting. And that is which types of assets sort of soak up this new saving. Okay. So it might be stocks or bonds yeah. or housing. And I, and I think that one interesting hypothesis is that land is a very good thing to soak up these things. Because if you think about it, I talked about this, that if you lower the interest rate, things that are very far in the future start to matter a lot. Now, which assets are really far in the future? Well, that's land. <laughs> because in some sense, it never gets worse. Uh, so there's one notion that, you know, when interest rate starts falling, we can sort of try to think, how does it restore the equilibrium between like savings and investments? 
So one thing is that when interest rates are lower, firms start investing more. But that channel can be quite weak sometimes because, you know, depreciation rates are high, it's uncertain, you know, these sort of things. But the valuation of land and attractive locations go up. That's a pretty robust thing. And we can all sort of see it because we're 35 years old. We want to buy like a nice plot in like, you know, uptown or like some central location in town. And we see like, how much can we afford to pay? Well, what do we look? We take the mortgage, we multiply it by the interest rate and we see the monthly cost. So it's quite clear that, you know, if the interest rate is very low, we can borrow a lot and still have a good monthly cost. So the idea... And that would be like a bit of a story, what has happened in the U.S. then, that we had this aging, we have all these assets chasing stuff, and that one big thing that has happened has been that land values have increased. That's a lot of complication about how land works and so on, so we don't like dig deep into that in the current paper, but I think looking ahead, that's a very interesting question. It would be like a story for like what went on, that you know, interest rates fell, investment didn't rise that much, but land values exploded. That feels like the 90s and 2000s for me. <laughs> Doesn't it? That's a, that's a fascinating story to to explore. Yeah, and that this is like where this savings trying to chase something sort of went, that, you know, they, they got absorbed by increasing the value of attractive uh, land. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. Hannes Malberg is an economist at the University of Minnesota. Heller Hurwich Office Hours is a production of Matriarch Digital Media, hosted by me, Chris Farrell. Executive producer, Twyla Dang. Producer and editor, Beth K. Gibbs. Music by Bob Bradley. A special thanks to Heller Hurwich's project manager, Eva Witter. To learn more about the research we discussed today, visit hhei.umn.edu. Tell a friend or two about this podcast. It helps. 